Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I want to talk to you from this idea of talk is not cheap. I believe God has something for us this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we open up your word today, I just want to speak and declare over some hearts today, God, that I may have walked in here a little heavy. Uh, maybe some it was just a struggle to get here. Lord, I pray, and I just speak life over them right now. God, I pray that you'd speak to them, you'd meet them where they're at, that they'd be so grateful and glad that they came today, God, that you would do something in them. I know you're already moving, um, but I pray that as we open up your word, that you would do something in each and every heart here. Uh, Lord, there are some that are coming on the mountaintop. I pray they would be encouraged. Um, some are coming in the valley. I pray, Lord, that hope and life um, would abound as we dive into your truth. We love you so much, Lord. Use my mouth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, any, anybody, uh, anybody like a fresh pair of socks? Come on, that, that like deserves an amen. There's nothing better than a fresh new pair of socks. At least a clean pair. One of the things where socks uh, became really, really important to me was uh, we were youth pastors for over 15 years, and we would go on youth retreats. And the ladies would wear these flats with no socks. Ladies, please, 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 get the little nylons. Like, you got to wear socks with flats because those shoes would smell so bad. And we'd have to put them outside of the cabinet. Never, ever have I appreciated socks more than those winter retreats. It's true. But, but I, I, think, I think it's true. We, we love a fresh pair of socks. There's nothing better than a clean, fresh pair of socks as you're putting them on. There's nothing like when you look into the drawer and they match, they line up, they're, they're consistent. There's nothing better than that. And I think all of us would agree, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we like fresh socks, right? Now, now, now this is huge. Um, we like fresh socks as long as they are fresh, clean, and match. But what we don't like, let me show you, we don't like this. Come on, is there anybody in the house today that would say, I, I wish that my dryer could sort my socks, spit them out in perfect array, but that just doesn't happen, right? Especially when you have kids. Kids and socks are a nightmare. As you can see, this is a clean batch of socks. This is, this is true. This is real, real time. You see my kids' stains. Like, we play hard. That's just, those are stains, ladies and gentlemen. That's how hard we play. But... Uh, we don't like piles. We don't like to deal with socks when they look like this. Truthfully speaking, this sat in our bedroom, on our bedroom floor for about two weeks. Because Jackie and I, we didn't want to touch it. This is real life. Don't act like you've never done that. Like, we, just, they're, they're, we just didn't want to deal with this. So finally we did what any mature, responsible couple would do. We said, I, we got the solution. Let's throw them away. Just throw them away. I mean, look at the stains. It's, it's about that time for a new set. Now, <clears throat> that's exactly what we did. We threw them away. And then I regretted it when I got to Walmart and I realized how much socks cost. <laughs> I was like, how in the world do socks cost so much? This is crazy. I asked Jack, I was like, did we throw away that bag? She's like, yep, we did. Like, uh. But, but we love it when, 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 when socks are, are in order. We love it when they're matching. We love it when they're aligned. And there's another thing that I love more than socks. Um, when it's fresh, when it's clean, when it's aligned, when it's matching. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. It's, it's communication. Because there's nothing worse 
than when communication gets lost in a mess. When it gets lost in a mess of dysfunction, when it gets lost in a mess of misunderstanding, when it gets lost in a mess of craziness, loudness, verbal abuse. Like there's nothing worse than when, when communication is not fresh, is not clean, is not in alignment. I think you guys would agree with me. And in fact, I think that like socks, many times when communication is not working, we don't want to deal with it. And so a lot of times what happens is subconsciously we just kind of set it aside and just act like it, the pile doesn't exist. Act like the tangles are somehow going to work themselves out. The only problem is, is unlike socks, you can't just go to Walmart and buy a brand new batch of communication. And so eventually over time and space, the, the pain of being disconnected, the pain of all the tangles forces us to actually deal with our conversations, to deal with our communication. Now, I think many of us would deal with communication if we just paused and realized how powerful communication is, how powerful our words are. The Bible says that we have the ability to speak life or death. And I think a lot of times we don't want to deal with communication because somehow we've bought into a myth or we've gotten it twisted that communication is not important. That we can move and navigate in our relationships when our communication is all tangled up. And the truth of the matter is you can move, but it's probably going to be in a lot of wrong directions. And you're probably going to experience a lot of disconnect, a lot of pain. Um, and and it's, it, it can get intense. But communication is so powerful. I think if we just stopped and realized that our words shape things. That God has given us the ability to speak life and to speak death. Let me show you a picture. We can use our words to communicate great vision for great good with great truth. But we can also use our words to communicate deception and destruction. That's how powerful our words are. And, and you know, studies have shown over and over and over again, time and time again, that the power of words are so powerful that the, the number one way or the number one reason outside of infidelity that marriages split up is because of communication. And I don't just think it's marriages, but families and severed relationships and friendships that go awry. As a result of a miscommunication, as a result of this mess that we never dealt with, and so we thought it would be best just to throw the relationship away. Because communication, it can be tough, and it's, it's really powerful. And it, no matter what study you look at, there's, there's some warning signs or some red flag signs that communication is going south in relationships. Now, I'm not just speaking to marriages today. I'm speaking across the board in every single relationship in your life. And, and these, are, these are red flags. God seems to think that our words are important. So I want you to lean in today because I think if God thinks they're important, I think we should think they're important. And I think we need to be mindful of what is coming out of our mouth. And so some of the warning signs of communication, if you're taking notes, we want you to jot this down. The first one is you start to withdraw from communication in a relationship. And so, so what this looks like practically is sometimes we think this is just the person that's silent, but it's, it's not true. Sometimes it's the person that has such a strong opinion that you just can't get a word in edgewise. So even though they're speaking, they've, they have really withdrawn because there's no compromise. There's no ability for you to, 
you know, get your two cents in or, or, or you know, come to an understanding. It's just, no, nope, this is the way that it is. You can keep talking, but no, nope, made up my mind. They've withdrawn from the conversation. They've withdrawn from communication. And then there is that, that one aspect of it where people shut down. So a lot of times we think that silence is a sign of good communication. But sometimes it's the worst. Because one of, one of the parties in the relationship has decided, I'm just going to shut down. I, 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 I'm, you know what? You can just blah, 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 blah. And you go to your safe place somewhere. You just shut down, shut them out. You withdraw from the relationship. You withdraw from communication. And what they say is that the person who shuts down or the person that withdraws is the one that's in control, fighting for control. And that's a, a, a whole other sermon in itself. But this is a red flag. Withdrawing. Are you withdrawing? Or is, is, is there a withdrawal from communication in any of your relationships? The second one is this. If you're taking notes, shot it down. Is, is escalating. It's where our communication starts to go to another level. Uh, do I have any yellers in the house today? Yeah, some of you guys are, you're yelling on the inside right now like, oh, man. But escalated. Now, escalated, uh, a lot of times, it's the more vocal ones. That would be me in the relationship. Like, I have the tendency, um, because I'm, very, I'm a very passionate person, and so sometimes it can seem like I'm upset, but really I'm just excited, or I'm, like, declaring, like, blah, blah, blah. And I have the potential to escalate the conversation or escalate our communication in my relationship with Jackie. She'll let you know. And she's the one that withdraws. She's like, nope, got my opinion shut down, right? Um, so we're a little bit dysfunctional, so we're, we're learning our way. So if you're here and you struggle with this in any level, um, so grateful that you're human uh, along with us. And by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're getting better. And so, uh, but, but the, the crazy part of, the, of, of escalating or the conversation going to another level vocally is a lot of times we think that we, we dominate by that. Like we can actually win the argument. Now, can I just tell you, even if you win and that person shuts down, if you've lost the heart, you still lose. And so it, it just, it still doesn't work. They say that when a man's heart rate is over 100 beats per minute, we stop being able to rationalize properly. So guys, as you're getting in, as you're in a conversation, any relationship, just know as your heartbeat starts to go up, you're probably going to say something that you don't want to say. You're probably going to say something that you're going to regret because it's just starting to go to another level. It's getting escalated. But then it's not just the loud people. It's also the person in the relationship that just won't be quiet. Anybody, don't look, don't point in this, in this sermon at all. Don't look, don't be like, hey, that's you. And don't think, man, this message is going to be really good for somebody else. Like, lean in. Because it's that person that's just blah, blah. They want you to understand their opinion a thousand times in about 20 different ways. And the person on the receiving end is like, no. I mean, the, the introvert turns to extrovert at some point and just says, be quiet. Just stop. And then the whole thing gets escalated. Then it just gets, it gets, it gets, it gets crazy. The, the third one, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is you start to criticize. You become critical in the relationship. And this is really dangerous. And it's also a great sign of insecurity. The person who is critical in the relationship, who is constantly feeling like they have to cut somebody down, it's, it's a sign of insecurity because what they're saying is, I feel beneath you. 
and I feel like I, I, I'm not able to change or rise to the occasion, or I'm not able to come up to your level, so I'm going to bring you down to mine, and I'm going I'm to cut you down. And, and this is why I, I told last service, I was really impressed to say this. Listen, uh, if you have a problem with gossiping, and you have, you're, you're so, it's so easy to criticize other people without going to that person. You probably want to invite Jesus to deal with the insecurity in your heart. Because, the, number one, there's an insecurity that you feel like you can't go and talk to that person, but you keep cutting them down is because you feel like you're not able to measure up. And you need to let God speak into your heart, bring some healing into your life, and, uh, and, and switch that critical spirit, which a lot of times is a result of God's touch and healing power. And so, again, that's another sermon, but I, 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 want, I want to plant that seed because crit criticizing, is, it's no fun. There, there was a gentleman who, uh, him and his wife were driving. And they got into a little spat. And they're driving past the farm. And there's some cows and some pigs. And so the husband's like, hey, any of your relatives? She's like, yes, in-laws. Right? It was just like, <laughs> like just, guys, you can't win. So don't even try it. Don't even try it. You'll never win. But, but you see, like, these, these sideline athletes criticizing sports players from their couches. They're criticizing because they know they can never measure up. They believe they should be on that field. And so they just want to cut them down and cut them down. Poor LeBron James. Now, most of LeBron stuff is true. Hashtag Warriors. Let's go. Uh, but be, be careful of, 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 of criticizing because then a lot of times what, what, what criticism leads to um, is, is another, dis, probably the most demonic aspect or the demo, most demonic warning flag is it leads to a false belief, if you're taking notes. False belief. You start to communicate false beliefs over people's lives. You know those, those moments where somebody said, you know what, you're just annoying. You, you, you're, you're, you're dumb. Can you stop being so dumb? It's a false belief. See, the Bible says in John chapter 8 that, that Satan is the father of lies. And one of the ways that he destroys, as he did in the garden, is he used his deception as a means of destruction. And so, so, so what he does is he'll create these false beliefs or narratives in your mind. Even though you may know it's not true, you take these jabs because you want to hurt the other person. And so even though you may feel or you may know that this is not a true statement, you're still communicating a false belief that's planting a seed in the other person's heart. And over a period of time, they start to question, maybe I am. Maybe I am dumb. Maybe this is never going to work out. And then, then a lot of times what happens, we want to retract those statements the next day. You ever uh, experience those relationships where you get in this big blowout, and then the next day, they're super cool. But nobody has dealt with anything. You know that, like, hey, good morning. Like, do you just remember, like, 13 hours ago? Hey, great to see you. Hey, you ready for the day? Oh, are you still troubled about that? Uh, you just destroyed me verbally last night, and you want me to move on. So a lot of times what, is, what ends up happening with false belief, it's like a dry erase board where you've, you may have apologized or you may have tried to wipe the slate clean, but there's still an impression on that person. And it's, it's one of the ways that the enemy uses to destroy. So I, I was thinking about 
as I was thinking about our conversations, as I was thinking about communication this week, anybody ever uh, think that you hang up the phone, but you didn't? And you've been talking, and they've been listening for like two minutes? Or you, you know, um, you called somebody by accident, maybe you sat on your phone and it, it dialed somebody and you realized, they've been listening for three minutes. What is the first thing you do? You start to recall all the conversation. Did I say anything bad? Did I say anything about them? Did I, what in the world? And all of a sudden there's this, this fear, this, uh, this sense of accountability grips you. And that's what I'm hoping today that, that, that we can really lean into because a lot of times we think that we've hung up the phone or we think that we are able to, to get away with. But the Lord said, man, I've been listening the whole time. Look what he says in, in the Gospel of Matthew 12, verse 36. He says, every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. This is the message version. I just love how it's worded. He said, there will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. So take them seriously, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. See, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like to say this, as the heart flows, the mouth goes. And so you really want to know what's inside of a person's heart, you just have to listen to what comes out of their mouth. And that's why the Lord says, listen, you're, you'll either be justified or condemned, because a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. What's flowing from your mouth is a great indicator of the tree that's inside of your heart. And so a lot of times we think communication is a mouth issue when in reality when you get down to it, it's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. And so, but it's interesting because it reveals the heart, it can be kind of a sobering reality when you start to actually keep track of your words or your lack thereof. You know, some of us, we, we don't have a hard time uh, being quiet. We have a hard time speaking because there's some words that need to be spoken. And so the Lord's like, hey, listen, I'm hearing. And there's accountability for the words that are coming from our mouth. And it's a great indicator of what's happening in your heart. So if I were to ask you today, listen, if I were to follow you for 24 hours, if you were to take notes of the words that have been coming out of your mouth, what type of a tree would it reveal? And listen, if you're saying, oh, man, I'm done. I knew I shouldn't have came to church. <laughs> and you feel that weight or that gravity because of your words or lack thereof, I just want to encourage you that, listen, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And vice versa. But sometimes fruit does fall from the tree. So I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about patterns. Like, like last night, can I just be honest with you? It's like, like, I got irritated with my wife last night. After I was like preaching to myself in the garage. I came in and just, we were not connecting. And something kind of set me off and it hit in a spot of insecurity. And I just started to go. And it started to escalate. And then I was like, wait, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. So I'm not saying that you're never going to blow it or make a mistake. But I'm just saying when you look at the tree that's in your heart as, as it's revealed from the words from your mouth, what does it look like on a regular basis? And if you see that it's not what you want it to be, 
then listen, I got great news for you, and this message is not to condemn you, but it's actually to point you to deal with your communication. It's, it's, not, it, it's even beyond your communication, but it's pointing you to deal with your heart. And let me show you how we, how we do that. So Genesis chapter 1, Lord's creating all things. And it says, now the earth was formless, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, maybe when you look at the tree of your heart, that's exactly what it feels like. It feels formless. It feels empty. It feels dark. And if I were to ask some people around you, maybe they would say the same thing. And, and see, what's so crazy is as, as, our, as our words reveal what's really happening in our heart, it positions us to deal with the root issue. And so, again, don't, don't let it condemn you, but, but what, what we really need is we need this latter part that says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so what, what happens is when we see the void, when we see the darkness, when we see the emptiness, we need to allow God to speak light into that space. We need God to speak hope and healing and restoration. We need the words of God. We need to receive the words of God being spoken over us. So that you and I will experience the healing that only comes from him. That way, what, what do they say? Healed people, heal people. Broken people, break people, right? It's, it's this, this, this idea that God wants to speak to the formlessness. God wants to speak to the emptiness. God wants to speak to the void. But you have to receive what God is saying. And that's why we started off this series with the message last week. Because I can teach you practical stuff. But if your heart is not changed, the behavior will only last for us a short amount of time. And so we have to keep coming back to the heart. We have to keep, we have to start with the heart. We have to start with the heart. But then he says that God created, God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's amazing that God created the world with his words. With his words, God created the world. And it's interesting because the Bible says that you and I are created in the image of God. And to a certain degree, hear me out, to a certain degree, that also the words that we speak create the atmosphere in the world that we live in. I'm not saying it's in its entirety. Some of you are living in an atmosphere of things that other people have spoken over you. And it's created a world. You've seen how, uh, whether it's Dr. King, how it, it can create just this incredible, incredible world of justice, of truth, of righteousness with our words. But then at the very same time, we see with Hitler, it can be so deceptive and destructive. And some of us have grown up in homes and environments that have been on both sides. Some of you guys grew up in a, in a home where there was a lot of life. Some of you guys grew up in a home where there was a lot of darkness. And if you look at that atmosphere, if you look at those environments, and you pay attention to what's being said, it reveals a lot of what's happening on the inside of our heart. Now, I, I don't want to take that to, to a degree that, that it's not. God is sovereign and all that good stuff. But what I'm saying is the words of our mouth matter, and they affect everything around us. Life or death, you and I are going to speak. So I know it's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit overwhelming. Like, man, where do I even start? Like, there's a lot of fruit falling off my tree. Well, well I, I think that rather than trying to, you know, revamp every aspect of our heart and communication, we're probably not going to solve that in 35 minutes today. 
but, but I, I want to point you to, to a gentleman. That, there, there's a story that really inspired me. And his name is David. It's this guy right here on your left. Now, this guy, David, he took over the, the British cycle team in 2003. Now, a little bit of backstory. Before 2003, going all the way back to 1904, between 1904 and 2003, they only won one gold medal in cycling. Only one. And the Tour de France, which is like the big cycling, you know, bicycle event in Europe, they hadn't won in 110 years. And so this guy gets this arduous task of transforming this, this group of, of cyclists that was so bad that the people who produced the highest quality bikes would not even sell them a product because they did not want to identify their product with this team. So they were bad. <laughs> they, they weren't the cream of the crop. They were the warriors before the warriors. You know what's so crazy about the warriors? We used to be able to get the warriors to come to our church, to our youth nights. We could get like three or four warriors. Now it's like I can't even get a seat. There was a time where people didn't even know who the, the, who the Warriors were. They were like, man, are, are they a professional team? <laughs> who is the Warriors? Now there's a bunch of bandwagon people um, <laughs> criticizing. See, words create an atmosphere. Um, so he had this arduous task of bringing transformation to this team. Now, now the plan or the strategy, you would think, okay, let's just try to, let's try to win these races. Let's try to... Get this done. Let's get into gear. You guys need to work out harder. But, but he took this approach that's called aggregation of marginal gains. And, and, and it's where you take, you take a particular topic or, or thing, such as cycling, and you dissect every aspect of it. And you find out how can you gain some small marginal wins in every aspect. Just a little bit in each area. And so... So that's exactly what he did. He, he did some crazy stuff that they thought he was crazy. Um, he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start putting rubbing alcohol on the bike's tires because it's going to give better traction. We're going to change the material that you wear so that your body can remain at a specific temperature. We are going to find the best mattresses so that you have the greatest night's sleep. They hired a surgeon to teach these guys how to wash their hands so they would avoid germs and getting sick, so they would maintain healthy. They researched the best gels that would heal, you know, your muscles after a long day. The best gel so that they would be able to, you know, replenish a lot quicker. And it's so incredible because all these little areas, and I'm just giving you a, a 30,000 foot view, but he took all of these areas of cycling and said, how can we just gain some small marginal gains in every single aspect? Within the next five years, they went on to win 60 gold medals. They set nine Olympic records, seven world records, and they won the Tour de France five years in a row. And can I just tell you, like, the Bible has been saying this the whole time. Like, the Bible screams with so many narratives, so many stories, don't despise small beginnings. But so many times we want to just take it all on rather than saying, man, let's dissect this thing and let's just get a little bit better, just a little bit better in each one of these areas. His goal was to get 1% better in every single one of these areas. And at the end of the year, he would have increased their performance or he would have made them better by 37%. 
And he went on to win all of these things. So I thought, man, Lord, you've been saying this a lot longer than David has. So when you look at communication, there's about seven forms of communication that's vital. Now, we can't hit all of those on a Sunday morning, but I picked three that I feel like, man, if we would get better just by 1% every single day in each one of these areas, that, that I promise you by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this will be a different year for you and the relationships around you. That God wants to do something in you as much as he wants to do something through you. And what's coming out of our mouth reveals a lot what's in us. God wants to heal that. But he also wants us to remember that, listen, every word that's coming out of my mouth right now, I'm choosing to speak. God is not forcing me to speak or preach this message. As, as, as awesome as it is to glorify him and magnify him, I'm making a choice. But the choices flow from what's happening on the inside of our heart. Are you tracking with that? And so, so what if we just got better by 1% in each one of these areas at the end of the year? Man, we would have increased by 37% in our areas of communication, in our, our relationships. Can I just tell you, I, I promise you that a lot of times we don't deal with this stuff. And it sounds really practical. But I'm just blown away more and more that we don't have plans for things that God has entrusted us to steward. And as a result, it's so easy to make a tangled mess because we're just not being intentional with our words. And so the first one is this. The first one is encouragement. It's like, yeah, duh. Be awesome. Be more encouraging. I hope you hear me, don't hear me saying that today. Just be more encouraging. Just, but I, I want you to take all of this in. I want you to evaluate your own heart. How is your heart receiving encouragement from the Lord, his words over you. But encouragement, could you imagine if, if out of your mouth this year came a lot more encouragement? I, I love this particular passage in Proverbs. It says that a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. How beautiful is that? And, and what this, this word aptly means, it means fitting for the occasion. And so it's almost like you have taken time to think through, to pray through, to discern. What, what word should I insert here? And the Lord said, listen, that's so rare, especially today. We, we, we tweet and we Instagram and we Facebook and we send text messages. And so everything is very fast. A lot of times we don't have time just to pause and say, man, how is this word going to affect this person? Is it going to encourage them? Is it going to tear them down? Because there may even be some truth to it. There's a lot of variables. That's why it's important that sometimes we slow down and think, like, this is, this is something I need to slow down and think about. There's other things you can text, you can tweet, you can do all that. Easy. But there's some moments that if we would just stop and be intentional. He says, like, like apples of gold, gold is such a rare commodity, and settings of silver is so valuable. Like, this could make such a huge difference. If we, we were just able to, to, to discern and to, to find a word for somebody in a season that could ultimately change the game. Encouragement is so important to the Lord. Can I just tell you that uh, I know how it feels to live in the tension of darkness and light, of being torn down and being built up. Because the environment that I grew up in, I remember one time we were sitting on the front porch. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. We're drinking a beer, and we're doing a lot of illegal stuff, right? That's your pastor. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember looking at my friend, and I said, hey, this isn't normal, man. 
Like everybody was going to work and, you know, it was like doing normal stuff. And he's like, oh, man, that's way too deep for this early in the morning. Like just, just ignore, just put that aside. And I remember just hearing things like the, the idea of success for me, everybody would just laugh at you. Like you think you're getting outside of this? Like you think that there's life actually outside of this? And that false belief I just started to believe. But then I have my mom writing me post-its every day. God's got plans for you. God loves you. And so I'm torn between this tension between my mom speaking life and, and just living in this what in the world. But I'll never forget some of the most monumental moments of, of, of change, of God speaking into areas of my life, have been from an aptly word from a person speaking a word of encouragement from the Lord that changed the game for me. I can, I can go on so many different levels. But this is important to the Lord. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Um, you see this word any? In the Greek, it means any. <laughs> don't let any unwholesome talk. That's like a classic pastor joke thing, right? It's lame. Uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let any. Like, Paul, that's impossible, bro. One of the things I love about the Lord is he never calls us to something that he doesn't give us the power to accomplish. Unless it's the law. The law just reveals that we're all messed up and that we need salvation. But God makes a way of salvation by way of his son. Whole other message. But, but he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Like how many times do we communicate based on our needs? But he says, no, no, no. Don't let any unwholesome talk, meaning... And encourage, help people. Like you see their issues, you know you can take a shot, you can tear them down. Listen, can I just tell you, if you are a gossiper, stop it. I told the last service this, if you are a first-time guest, this does not apply to you. If you're not following Jesus, this does not apply to you. But if you are a gossip, you are spiritually immature. That's just the reality of it. And there's a lot of insecurity, there's a lot of things happening on the inside of you that you need to deal with. And so if you have such an easy time spitting out false beliefs and criticism about everybody else, but you're not able to Matthew it and go to that person and deal with them directly, you are spiritually immature. And God loves you in that place and wants to heal you and wants to grow you up, wants to mature you. How does he do that? Listen, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Why? That it may benefit those who listen. Are you guys track with me? Our communication, God has not designed it to tear people down. Even if it's a tough conversation, God says, do not let any unwholesome talk. Let it be helpful. Let it be according to their needs, not yours. Could you imagine if we started from a place of communication with what do they need? Oh, my goodness. Is anybody with me today? I'm fired, I'm fired up. I'm pumped up. This, thing, this could change the game. When I went to Israel, I had the privilege of touring with the Orthodox rabbi. He just made Aliyah, moved from New York, very successful lawyer, um, made Aliyah, moved to Israel, and he toured with us to give us the Jewish perspective of the land. And so we were able to celebrate Sabbath with him, and I thought this was so incredible. Because every, every night on the Sabbath, which is their Friday evening going into to Saturday, um, they grab their kids and they bless them. They lay hands on their kids and they just speak blessing over them. And then he says, I grab my wife and I declare Proverbs 31 over her. 
I read it out loud. I just begin to declare Proverbs 31 over my wife. I'm like, you do this. this that's great. This is, I mean, could you imagine every, listen, every week there is an intentional laying on of hands with the communication of words to speak life over their home. I thought, dude, I'm stealing that, Rabbi. That is amazing. And I thought the Lord brought to my mind with my girls. I kind of have this little thing. The Bible says with Elijah that he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake, but he was in the still, small voice. And so I grab my girls and I whisper in their ear, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are so beautiful. You are so incredible. God. And I'll just begin to speak life. They know, and they just laugh, like, but I'll whisper it in their ear because I want to build them up. I want them to experience life. Could you imagine? Listen, yeah, you can, you can clap to that. That's awesome. Um, I mean, think, think about this. And, and normally, listen, here at Fountain Church, when it comes to serving, we want to connect you to your gifting and your passion. But can I just tell you that we need to get some more passionate people about this next generation. Because they're living in the tension of life and death. They're living in the tension of what's spoken here and what's spoken here. And listen, you may not even have a heart for kids. And I, I never do this in any of, you know, my pleas to you. But it, even if you may not have a heart for kids, but you see the importance of the next generation, we need more men and women that will step to the plate, serve with our kids' teams, our student teams, and just know that, listen, I am there to speak life over these kids, to tell them truth. Because there's so much criticism, there's so much false belief, there's so much escalation, and there's so much withdrawal. It's, it's, it's crazy. We need to begin to speak life. We need to be intentional with our words. What is helpful, what is building, thinking about them that it might benefit and not tear down. The second one is this, affection. Affection. This is where it gets a little bit, oh, no. You know, there, there are some of you that, you didn't grow up in an affectionate home. I hear this all the time. And one of the things that I hear all the time is it's, it can almost be taken as pride. Like, we don't need affection in this home. We don't, do, we don't do hugs here. Can I just tell you that that dramatically affects your soul? It dramatically affects your soul, and it's not healthy. Because God is so affectionate towards us. With his words and with his language, that's for a reason. So if you didn't get, grow up in a home that they said, man, I love you, you've heard it said in other homes. That's, that's tough. If, if you were never embraced, if there was never that, that, that sense of love, listen, can I just tell you that God wants you to experience that. It's, it's not too late. You may have not grown up with that, but God wants you to experience that now. Because it changes how you love and speak. It affects, though, it, it affects how, how you engage the people around you. And a lot of times it's easy just to set those things aside. And, and for some guys, man, it's hard to say, oh I, oh, I love you. It's hard for some ladies to say that. My, my, my pastor would tell me he loved me all the time. Matt, I love you. Matt, I love you. And if you guys know, if you guys have been around me at all, I say it all the time. And it's not coming from a shallow place or just words, but I'll never forget. He, he always said it because his friend always told him, I love you. And when he asked his friend, why do you tell me that all the time? He said, because I never know if I'm going to see you again. And I want the last words that you hear from me to be, I love you. And I thought, man. So after every conversation, love you, love you. If you're going to text me, I'm probably going to say, love you. And you put the, the Y-A instead of the Y-O-U because it makes it a little bit more manly. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody knows? Love you. 
Yeah. I said, I love you. But words of affection are so, they're, they're so important. Imagine if we got better with our affection, with our communication, just a little, just 1%. What if it just started with, your hair looks nice, right? <laughs> just, just something to break the ice because listen to what God declares over you. Listen to this. He says it this way. He says, I have loved you. Can I, hold on, just, everybody just close your eyes for a moment. This is not weird or anything. I just want you to hear this. God says, I have loved you. I have loved you, my people. You belong to me. It's personal. You're not a number. You have a name. And God knows it. He says, with an everlasting love. I know you grow up in environments where it seems like the love would run out based on your decisions, based on your choices, based on. But God says, no, 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 I have an everlasting love for you. Matter of fact, it's not just everlasting. He says, with an unfailing love. Meaning a love that will never fail you, will never disappoint. It will never lead to disappointment. He says, I have drawn you to myself. Everybody look at me. Some of you just need to receive those words today. God says, man, I love you. You say, man, I've, I've made a mess of it. I have the worst tree in the house. God says, man, I love you. With an everlasting, with an unfailing Love, I've drawn you to myself. You are mine. And I'm drawing you unto me. But just think about this for a moment. The God of all creation is declaring this over your life. Like, receive that. I'm like, oh, this is getting too deep. I don't, no, no, no. Stop and receive that truth. Because that truth will wreck everything. It will change the game in such a great way. We just realize the radical, unconditional, everlasting love of God that some preachers would declare is scandalous because God is so gracious when he has the right not to be. And God says, this is how I think about you. Can I just tell you as your pastor, I love you. I love you. And Jackie and I, we love you, our team. I love you. And there's probably a lot of people that love you. But we love you a lot. We pray for you. You're not just a, a number here. I promise you that. I, I hate the, the idea of that. You have a name, and we want to know it if we don't already. But you are loved. Last one is this. Truth and love. we got to speak truth and love. This is where, you know, the guys uh, and maybe some of you ladies that are a little bit, you know, got a little edge like, hey, this is a little bit foo-foo, Matt. Well, let's get to some, like. What about the tough stuff? Well, yeah, we, we have to be able to speak truth and love. Now, I think this is so hard for people, especially the day that we live in. Truth is not popular. And we live in this tension of, of like I said, uh, you wake up that morning and, and the person that tore you up, they're good now. Got it off my chest. And you need to have that tough conversation to say, hey, you really hurt me, but you just kind of let it go because you don't want to stir the waters and we got to learn how to speak truth and love. A lot of our relationships are tangled up in disarray because we don't know how to speak truth and love. We know how to speak truth without love. And sometimes what we think is love by not speaking truth is not love or truth. And so, so we, we got to get a grasp on this. What does this look like? How does this play out practically? I'm almost done. Proverbs 15 once says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
one of the greatest ways that you can speak truth in love is the way that plays out practically is be gentle. Be gentle in your approach. Hey, let me tell you about yourself. Like, hey, there's even some pastors that's like, hey, bro, you probably need to be a little bit more gentle. Let me give you three ways and tell you how you're stupid. Number one, it's like, settle down. What if we just practice getting better at gentle answers 1% every day this year? And just said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice stepping out and speaking truth and love because I want healing in my relationship. But, and sometimes that can escalate and sometimes it's going to reveal some things, I'm sure. So don't, don't get freaked out when that happens. But we have to deal with the tangled mess. If we don't, ladies and gentlemen, it'll stay tangled. And it'll stay a mess. We've got to deal with it. We can't avoid it. L- look what it says here. Ephesians 4 verse 15. We will speak the truth in love. And what, what is that? What is that? That look like we're growing in every way more and more like Christ. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was both full of, embodied both truth and grace. Both. Uh, l- let, me, let me show you what this looks like. Grace, truth without grace is mean. It's just mean. Let me keep it real with you. It's mean. Let me just be honest with you. It's mean. Slow down. A gentle word turns away wrath. But at the same token, grace without truth is meaningless. A lot of times what we call grace is not grace. Grace just doesn't let somebody fall off a cliff and say, man, I'm just, you know, I wish you the best. Grace. No, grace comes along. I think some of my best conversations have been some of my, 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 my best friends have spoken truth and love. Say, hey, Matt. You're not thinking right, man. You're not thinking right. That's not who you are. Like, we need that. But then it's, it's amazing because truth and grace combined is medicine. It's medicine for the soul. We just need, listen, we can't be afraid of confrontation. We just got to do it in the right way. It doesn't mean that they're always going to respond the right way. But if we can take this approach, and we're, no, regardless of anybody else's actions, we're just going to get better 1% at each one of these areas. Listen, everybody will eat from the fruits of the words from your lips. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Make sure what they're eating is, is beneficial. Make sure what they're eating is from a good tree. Regardless of their tree, you can't control anybody else's heart. You can't control anybody else's tree. But you can invite Jesus to say, Lord, we need to do some gardening here. We need to do some replanting and restructuring and some grafting because I got some stuff happening on the inside. And I want my life to consist of encouragement, affection, and truth and love. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, if we would get good at this just a little bit every day, by the end of the year, you will not say, Pastor Matt, I regret this. I promise you that. But it starts with you receiving God's words over your life. It's the most beautiful thing ever. Sometimes you just need to be reminded that God loves you with an everlasting love, an unfailing love. Belong to him as a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, he created you in his image and he's drawing you to himself. Not so he can, but so that you can experience the fruit of his words. Eat from the fruit of his tree and you'll never be the same. And neither will the world around you.